Good morning, good morning. Thank you, music team. You guys can sit down if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Father, we just pray that you move this morning. I can invite those guys that are setting up stuff. You can come and do that now. Uh, we love you, Lord. We pray that uh, you are with us. Uh, we want to know you in a greater way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Quick survey, quick survey. Who here has some form of social media out of curiosity? All right, cool. Keep your hand up. Uh, if Take it down if you are only on Facebook. That's hilarious. Take it down if it's Instagram. And there's more than that. I didn't even know. All the young people, put your hands down. <laughs> so social networking. Social networking. The point of social media uh, is that it is about social networking. So that is you create a profile and invite people to participate in community with you. A lot of it goes wrong. A lot of it goes right. That's what social media is for. I said that platform uh, being that I lean into this moment now. I want to talk about passion today. I want to talk about what really matters. Uh, and I find that the the more I grow as a person, the more likely I am to do things that I'm passionate about. Does anybody agree? We avoid the things we're not passionate about. Does anyone agree? I am a procrastinator. I will often go into the backyard and I will wander and stare knowing I'm out there to mow the lawn. And I will contemplate life in prayer that something else will come up that I have to attend to prior to the lawns. But you know when a person is passionate because they easily go there. I've got a friend of mine in the community. I'm not going to name him, but he knows who he is. And I asked for his permission. He is so passionate about basketball that he created an Instagram page where he can put up on this Instagram page page his predictions about basketball what was going on in basketball and he told no one about it he invited no one to come and social network with him it was purely that when things would unfold he could say look I wrote that months ago look at me <laughs> but the look at me was to no one else it was just a look at me to himself until one day, now now this guy, uh, he, he checks the stats daily. He's the guy the other week I was in the car. He called me and my pastoral instincts went, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, I'm just calling to talk about basketball. Then a flood of passion flooded through me because I'm like, yes, let's talk about basketball. I also like it. We're passionate about basketball. Eventually his wife found out about it. He's like, she's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm kind of you know, just proving to myself that I know basketball. And now there's a bunch of people that follow him and he's a really good work. Well done, Jason. So um, um, you can tell when a person is passionate. You can tell because they get excited easily. I would hope that you guys would think I'm passionate about Jesus because I can be rolling in life and then the moment someone wants to talk about Jesus, someone wants to talk about the Word, I'm like, let's do that together. Because I'm passionate about it. You can tell when a person is passionate, they're easily excited. They're highly motivated. They're happy to put time into their dreams. And other people notice their passion. Now when we go through the Bible, there are heaps of examples of passionate people. 
But one example I want to look at today is the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to lean into the verse in 1 Philippians. We've all heard it. For me to live is? For me to live is? And to die is gain. That is a passionate statement. Very passionate. And we're going to look at that uh, together. So... um, What we'll do is we'll quickly look at the purpose of Philippians. Uh, There's several reasons why uh, it's been written. It's written by Paul. Uh, They've got a friend who's recovered from a serious illness and they were letting people know. Uh, He was writing to encourage the Philippian people in their faith. Uh, he He wanted to reassure them, I'm in jail, but I'm okay. I'm in good spirits. This hasn't defeated me. He wanted to let them know that. And he also wanted to thank them. For their continued support. Now, as a person that loves the Bible, I often find it hard. I started off wanting to read you the whole chapter one. But what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to read all of chapter one at home because statistics tell me you're not going to listen if I keep reading for a long time. You can giggle. That's the statistics. That's probably the truth. But read it at home. Reflect on the Word. Feed on it. This is the whole reason we're doing deeper. I don't just want you to think about the Bible only on Sunday. Uh, The other week, Jordan and I were having a conversation and he said, why do people feel spiritually malnourished when they only have one meal a week? We need to be in the Word. We need to be focused on the Word. So what we're going to do? I'm going to read from the NLT version. We're going to read from verse 9 down to 25. Uh, Reflect on that. But when you go home, read the whole first chapter. It's beautiful. Uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's thanked them. He's praying for them. And then he's beginning to lean into some of the purposes around why he's writing this letter. So if you have your Bible on your phone, in your hand, uh, let's read it uh, from verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand, now in the NLT version it says, what really matters. For I want you to understand what really matters. So verse 9 says, I want you to grow in knowledge and understanding so that you'll know what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach out of Christ, uh, preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not uh, uh, sincerity or sincerely intending to make my chains more painful. But that doesn't matter. In verse 9, 
what really matters. Now he's saying, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. It's a little bit more. Stay with me. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ, whether I live or die. For me to live, now we know in the context here, he's in jail waiting judgment. So that's a real statement that he's making. If I die, it's, it's okay because I'll be with God. If I live, it's okay because I'm going to be fruitful. That's what we're about to read. But he's in jail. So whether I live or die, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. Father, thank you for such a passionate example in the Bible. This letter is absolutely incredible to me because Paul is so convincing. Have you ever been inspired by a person? As I read this, he, I thought to myself, he has every reason to be upset with God. Because of his service to Christ, he's in jail. He's in chains. But yet he doesn't write a letter saying to the Philippian people, uh, I, I need intercession. I, I need a miracle to get out of here. He goes, don't worry about it. God is doing great things. The good news of Jesus Christ is being spread. So even though I'm in here, I'm winning. Faith often shines its brightest in circumstances that look dark. Paul is in a dark situation, but yet he writes such an inspirational, passionate letter to encourage Christians as they walk out their life for Christ. So as I looked at this, I thought to myself, how come I'm so inspired? If I was a Philippian believer, what reasons are in this portion of Scripture? For me, from the outset of the letter, I'm locking in and I'm saying, I believe you. What is it here in this Scripture that helps us today? I believe the Lord has spoken to me. I hope it makes sense. Let's pray that it does. So the first thing here we see in verse 2, which we didn't read, he says, grace and peace be with you. That's a scripture where he begins to talk about uh, being confident in this. He being Christ, who began a good work within you or in you, will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Instantly, we know here that, that within you is referring to sanctification. You know, God has started a work within you. And as that work continues to unfold within you, we pray and we're excited that you are going to become more like Jesus Christ, more like the one we follow, more like the one that we are walking through these trials for. It's an incredible beginning because instantly he's like, I'm so encouraged that you've encountered Jesus. And remember that as you continue to run after him, you're going to become more like him. 
And now we lean into what I believe is the title of my message was what really matters. What really matters is this is what Paul begins to address. And what we're going to have a look here is if we turn now and focus in just for a minute on 9 to 11 in the verses, it says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, which I talked about, for I want you to understand what really matters. So I want you to mature in faith so that you can focus in on in your life what actually really matters. So that you will live. So what happens is that when you focus in in a mature way on what really matters, it, this is how it manifests itself in your life. You will live a pure and blameless life until Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, and you will bring much glory to God. So what's happening here is that if you mature, you then focus in on what really matters. And by doing that, you will live a life that will bring honour and glory to God. Because that's what really matters. That you bring honour and glory to the name of Jesus Christ and the extension of His message of hope to the world. So as I began to think about that practically, what really matters, we have those moments in life all the time. You know, we look back at our conference last week and I don't remember the lights or even the fact that we had a little bit of smoke. I don't really care about those things, to be honest. They're great. They're fun. But to me, that's not the priority. The food was amazing and the effort that was made. You know, I just want to honour those people that, that while we're in here encountering God, they were working in the kitchen. But the food, to me, isn't what really matters. You see, I had this moment on the Friday or the Saturday where there were a couple of us dads that got together and we were sitting, we were standing around here and we're looking at one another and I was like, oh man, did you see your daughter encountering God? And he's like, oh, did you see your daughter? I'm like, yeah, yeah, did you see your daughter? And we were there as fathers, we were like, that's what really matters. I saw my kids, our community encountering God. That's what really matters. You can take the lights away. We could be in a park. We could be nowhere. What really matters to me is that people are genuinely encountering the Holy Spirit. That's what really matters. So you walk in and you go, okay, I understand that as I mature as a believer, I need to focus in on those moments because those moments are what really matters. Paul's prayer for them wasn't anything but would you mature in knowledge and understanding so that you focus in on in your life on what really matters. That was his prayer. The deeper your understanding, the greater chance you will give yourself to the opportunities that really matter, that bring honour and glory to God. So as I pondered this, I thought, well, how can I how can I help us to take a hold of it? What really matters is Christ glorified. In everything we do, what really matters is Christ glorified 
through your life. So I had an idea. And this is what I meant your prayer. Because, you know, sometimes you come up with great illustrations and as they unfold, they don't make sense. So I hope that this works. So in this bag, there is, I probably should have unzipped it prior, there are some tennis rackets. I had to borrow this. Um, it's a good looking tennis racket. Is anybody a tennis player in here? There's a few tennis players. Oh no, it's yours. It's your, your racket. So you got to, I know there's at least one. But here we go. I want you to think about it like this. If I'm going to buy a bag for this racket, is the bag the priority or the racket? The racket's the priority. So if I go and I get, I get an option for a bag, I like this bag. It's a good size. I travel with it. It's big but not too big, but... might not necessarily be suitable for the priority in this situation. Not that suitable because the priority is the racket. So if the racket's the priority, this bag, it would work. I could shove it in upside down, leave the handle out, but probably not the best choice. There, there could be other options in, in, in life that's presented. See, this bag's good. It, it comes with a bladder. I run with it. I do long distance stuff with it, but it's probably a bit small. Again, so when I choose a bag, you choose a bag based on the priority, which is the racket. So I go, okay, this is what's most suitable for this outcome. There are many different options, but I'm holding on to the main priority, which is the racket. Now, I have another racket from Kmart. It's my racket. I picked the wrong racket. That's the later racket. Christ glorified. See, what happens is people often come and there'll be many options that are presenting themselves in life. And they'll come to me and some of them are a great situation versus a bad situation. Some of them is a good situation versus a good situation. Uh, sometimes it's more complex than that. Like, hey, there's a bit of good and there's a bit of bad within it. I had a friend of mine recently going to a family scenario where he goes, hey, I've got to go and see family. And, and, you know, in one hand, it'll be great to connect with this one. But what do I do over here? There's always a scenario. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, what really matters is Christ glorified. So then when you have options that are presented in life, the priority choice that is being made is, is Christ being glorified in this situation? See, you can be presented with this situation, but what's the priority? The priority is Christ glorified. The situation may change a little bit, but the priority, what really matters, is Christ glorified. It's not about the circumstance. It's not about the packaging. It's about whether or not Christ is being glorified in your life. 
So when you're presented with situations, different choices, the backbone of what really matters is Christ being glorified in and through my life. So then when you face different questions, the answer is, will Christ be glorified? Sometimes it's both, praise God. Sometimes you go, okay, clearly if I go this way, you're in a situation that person is absolutely annoying you and you're about to give them a piece of your mind and then the priority that you're holding on to in life says, is Christ glorified in that action? So then you take the racket from this position to a position that's more, more friendly, more God-honouring, more Christ-glorifying because the priority is not in anything but the racket, in all the choices that you may be presented with, the priority is, is Christ glorified? So as we look at that scripture, Paul is praying that they would mature so that they would understand the priority is Christ being glorified in their life. I think the greatest examples in life, it's going to kill me if I don't have it in the middle, Am I on? Pretty much close enough. Okay. It's no one else. It's my thing. No, no, no it's all right. Well, because then I'll become obsessed with it. All right, a little bit more. Come on. The other way? Other way. Okay, too far. Right, leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Wait a minute. Bernie said, move on. <laughs> he said, move on. It's a good one. Now, I can receive advice from anybody, but often what speaks the loudest is evidence, is fruit. We, we learned very early on in our, in our parenting course that you can receive advice from a lot of people, but look at the evidence of their parenting in their children. Makes sense. Fruit. I constantly return to, would you take financial advice from a person who's broke and bankrupt? You'd look at the evidence. I remember a little story. This will be one that I didn't think I was going to share. This is an off-the-rogue moment, but here's one for you. I was in hospital one time. And I had, yeah, I better, I'll clean it up. But pretty much what happened, I had a person come in and assess me. Right? So they assessed me and then they left. And then the doctor came in and assessed me. I said, well, who was the other guy? He said, nobody has seen you. Yes, Bronwyn, that happened in Australia, in a hospital in Australia. I won't name the hospital. But there was no evidence clearly in that person's life that they had any right to speak into my health. Yeah, I know, people, let's move on. That's why I shouldn't go rogue. <laughs> evidence is important. Paul is talking to the Philippians from jail. And this is what it says in the scripture, which gives him a right to begin to speak into it. But before we look at the fact that he had evidence, these are some questions and thoughts that I had. If you are about to get married, how will Christ be glorified? If you are raising kids, how will Christ be glorified? If you're an employee, how will Christ be glorified? If you're a grandparent, how will Christ be glorified? If you're making a decision, everything is secondary to the matter of Christ 
being glorified in our lives. So as we move on to Paul, I see in 1 John 3.18, a beautiful scripture that says this, Little children, let us not love in words or talk, but in deeds and in truth. Let our actions speak to reinforce our words. So Paul in this moment is sharing with the Philippians that, hey, you don't need to worry about me because I'm okay. He's in jail, but he's okay. And he says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, verse 12, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news, the priority. I may be in this situation but it's helping to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm awaiting judgment. There are things that aren't clear. There are things I don't have the freedom in life I normally would have, but instead of being disappointed by his lack of freedom, you know, and in our world, I don't have the money right now. Oh, I, I don't have the flexibility. Oh, life is really busy. I don't have the freedom. Paul didn't have the freedom, but yet he still carried joy. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, when he's talking about people that are spreading the gospel, but some of them are doing it to cause pain in his life and some of them are doing it because they love Jesus. And this is what he said. Now remember, if we go back to verse 9, it says what really matters is Christ. So now he's being persecuted. And you know what he says to them in verse 18? But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message of Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Now, Paul is clearly living out an example to them by saying it does not matter that people are talking about me badly. I rejoice. It doesn't matter that I'm in jail. What really matters is that Christ is being made famous, so I rejoice. Now, I'm holding this racket right now. Does everybody agree? Am I still holding the racket? Am I still holding the racket? So I could be anywhere in this room in any scenario. Am I holding the racket? So where I am placed currently has nothing to do with whether or not I'm holding the racket. If I'm holding the racket, I'm holding the racket. Does everybody agree? So what Paul is teaching them is to focus on what really matters. So Paul's joy is in Christ and he's holding on to him. So in this scenario... Am I still holding the racket? I'm still holding the racket. See, the scenario may change, but what I'm holding on to doesn't. So Paul is saying, I could be in jail, but my joy is in Christ. People could be talking about me falsely, but my joy is in Christ. I might not walk in the freedom I normally walk in, but my joy is in Christ. 
And what He's saying to them is what really matters is that Christ is being glorified and I'm living it out by showing you that even though I'm in chains, I'm still happy because what really matters is Christ being glorified. So I rejoice, is what the Scripture says. But you know, I see a lot of Christians like this. They roll into a different scenario and they go, Oh, Charles, it just doesn't feel the same as it used to. Charles, I've got this, this fatigue and this disappointment and it's hard. And, you know, Charles, things have changed. Yeah, they have, they have haven't they? Because in a scenario where am I holding on to Christ, often we trade it out for something random that's along the way because our faith is in the circumstance. The circumstance rather than in Christ. So now what happens is, hey, I don't have that joy in Christ and now for me to feel comfortable is dependent on what I'm going through right now because I like this chair more than, than I like the floor. And, you know, this is okay, but Paul is saying that what really matters is Christ glorified, not the circumstance. So that means if I'm focused on Christ and His glory, I can have joy in all circumstance because I hold on to Christ. And my joy in Christ is not set by the circumstance. I'm in jail. I don't know what my future holds. But my joy is in Christ. What are you holding on to? Have you traded out your joy in Christ for something counterfeit and then you wonder why you may not feel the same way as you used to or the situation has become harder. As we grow and mature in our walk with Christ, in knowledge and understanding, which is His prayer for the Philippians, the more we grow and fall in love with Jesus, the more we begin to realise what really matters. It's not circumstance, it's Christ glorified. And what I love about Paul is he doesn't just say it when times are good. You know, so many people and, you know, we need to keep doing this. Gratitude is essentially important to our walk with God. You see it all through Scripture. Thanksgiving is a catalyst to breakthrough. And people will often say, praise God, you are good when times are good. But then when times aren't working out and they're holding on to the, to the stool of life, it's hard to let it come out of your mouth, but we're holding on to the wrong thing. I want to encourage you. My joy is in Christ. And as long as He is being glorified in my life, then I'm holding on to the right things. Jared, I'll have you come and join me. He said to them, stay strong. I'm okay. Focus on what matters. It's the glory of Christ. Then he says, look at me. I'm in jail. Things are undetermined. I'm not sure. But I know this. For me to live is Christ. And if I die, it's better for me because then I'll be with Christ in His fullness. So for me to live, if I'm going to keep living, 
It says in verse 22, But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. In that whole portion of Scripture, I love it because Paul is saying to them as he begins, he goes, I fully expect, I fully expect in faith and determination that I'll never be ashamed of Christ, but rather because I'm going to live. And if I'm living, it's for Him. If I die, I'm with Him. It's better. I don't know which is better because if I'm here, I'm fruitful for Jesus, which is better for you. But if I die, I'm with Christ. That's amazing. That's better for me. But is it to serve or to be? They're both so good, which is better. I'm not sure. But I'll be obedient and I'll never be ashamed. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. An example of what really mattered, the way He passionately lived out His life was for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In every circumstance, that was His premise. If I'm living, I'm living for Jesus. He can place me in different scenarios, but I'll hold on to Him. It doesn't matter if the world is talking about me poorly. I live for Jesus. He's being glorified and made famous. No matter what I do, I'm happy. I'm winning. I want you to know this. Let me be clear. If you are a Christian, do your best to make Christ your passion. Make Christ your passion. Now maybe there are people in the room and they go, I don't know, I'm not there yet. That's okay. Keep seeking God. Keep going after the things that really matter. The Bible says that as you do things that draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. But if that's you this morning, I want to pray a prayer that you'll make Christ your passion. Because then no matter what you're called to, you'll have purpose. Because in Colossians 3.17, it says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So if your passion is Jesus, then if you're called to commerce, Whatever you do, do it for Jesus. He's your passion. For me to live in this scenario is Christ. If you're a health worker, your passion is Christ. But now, whatever you do, do it as though you're serving God. Do it in the name of Jesus. Retail worker, parent, business owner, student, If Jesus is your passion, you'll never be short of joy because joy is not circumstantial. The goal is always set before you. What really matters is Christ glorified and then whatever I do, I'm doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Read a book, been reading a book about 70 pages in, it's called Heavenly Man. It's about a guy that started or was a part of the emergence of the house churches in China. 
And I remember reading this scenario and I've been reading it out loud. Uh, Kiara and I, we, we hang out, we read a chapter. We're inspired by this guy's passion. And he's telling this story about how uh, he's got this home church and obviously the government don't want them to have it. And uh, he goes out for a moment and he gets pulled in by the police. There's a particular police that's dedicated to stopping what is emerging. And they say to him, what's your name and where do you live? And he instantly knew, if I give them my name, they'll know where I live. And the people that are in my home will get in trouble. He goes, if I give them my address, the same thing. So they said, what's your name? And where do you live? He goes, heavenly man and heaven is my home. They start to beat him up. And as they're beating him up, what's your name? Heavenly man, heaven is my home. They're beating him up. Heavenly man, heaven is my home. All of a sudden those that are in his home hear him screaming. They understand he is being beaten up and they all escape. Many times he returns to his community beaten up, beaten up, put in jail, family persecuted, friends persecuted. And yet in his mess, blood, comes back to them and he goes, yes, persecuted for the name of Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is what I believe needs to happen in our church throughout this year. We bring Christ and His Word and the Spirit to the forefront of everything we do. We make our passion Jesus. Then you find out what He's calling you to. And then you do that for the glory of Jesus. So then if study gets hard, my joy is in Christ. My business isn't going well, my joy is in Christ. My boss is giving me a hard time, my joy is in Christ. I'm working really hard right now, it's for your glory. But our passion must be Christ glorified. It has to be Christ glorified. Every outreach thing we do, I, will, I am determined to push us to feel uncomfortable and in faith. So when you're having that conversation, inviting people, telling them about Christ, it's not going to be easy, but your joy is not in circumstance. Your joy is not in your feeling. Your joy is in Christ who is your passion. So Father, today, we make You number one. I want to ask every person to stand in this room in this moment. I feel there's two things that I want to pray for. The first one is the scenario around that maybe you've dropped the joy in Christ and picked something else up. And in the Spirit today, I want you to Place those things back down and recenter yourself back onto Christ. And recenter yourself. There are people that have lost their joy, they need to put it in Christ. And the other thing being that I believe 
that some people need to return to the first love, their passion for Jesus. And I believe every person in that room, in this room, and in the room that may be online, we can all come back to a place today where we go, Christ, You are my passion. And where You send me, my goal is to see Christ glorified. So if they're the two categories today, I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands as individuals. I'm going to ask every person, there'll be someone in this room with one of those two, you're either recentering because you've lost your joy, you've picked something else up, or you're recentering just because you want to give Christ more honour and glory in this moment. I'd like you to put your hand out in front of you. Father, for those that have maybe begun to put their joy in different things, They put their joy in materialism, not meaning to be. It happened gradually and Father, now the pressure and stress of interest rates and loans, Father, we pick up joy in Christ. Those that are battling health issues, and the joy has been determined by the healing, but it hasn't happened. You picked up the chair of being healed rather than the chair or the racket of joy in Christ. There are those that mourn for the fact their children aren't walking with God. Stay in faith. Keep your joy in Christ glorified. We recenter. Loss of relationships, joy in Christ. Loss of confidence, joy in Christ. And Father, for all of us who... Father, I actually pray right now that You would forgive us of idolatry where we've pursued other things for joy that should have been Your place. We pursued happiness in material, happiness in freedoms, happiness in lifestyles, rather, Lord, than joy in what You call us to do. We repent. And we bring You back to the centre. Our joy is not in circumstance. Our joy is in You. Our passion is in You. In Jesus' Name. Amen.